Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. Luke chapter 19, I kind of want to piggyback a little bit off of what we touched on, began to touch on last week. If you weren't with us, we ministered on immunity. We ministered on building a resistance rather than a tolerance for the things of the world, the things in the world. You know, you can't resist what you tolerate. I said you can't resist what you tolerate. And um, we, uh, the church has tolerated more than what it has resisted. I would take it even further. You can't change what you tolerate. You can't change. We can't expect a difference around us when we are becoming what's around us. And so we have to be able to recognize what it means to resist. In fact, the Bible tells us, right? Submit yourselves to God, resist the devil, and he will what? He'll flee from you. He will flee from you. And um, it doesn't say that we should be battling the enemy. It doesn't, it doesn't say that we should be warring against the enemy. You know, he's a defeated foe. It's a silly thing to fight against an enemy that's already defeated. It's a silly thing for us to waste our time and waste our energy and waste our focus and waste our attention on an enemy that is already defeated. You need to remind him he's defeated. He's not your problem. I said, he's not your problem. You are. <laughs> you are. You're your own worst enemy. Amen. Come on, we're going to wake up tonight. It's midweek. It's Wednesday. It's church. Amen. The enemy is not your problem. He is defeated. And I know that, uh, you know, he hasn't quite figured that out yet. Uh, because just because he's defeated doesn't mean he's not going to uh, steal, you know, keep from coming against you and bringing attacks. Uh, we actually, I think, said this on Sunday. The enemy's goal is not to destroy you, it's to distract you. It's not to destroy you, it's to distract you. Because he recognizes, he knows the enemy in this fact is actually a little smarter than we are sometimes. He knows what we're capable of and he knows uh, the potential and he knows what you have inside of you. The enemy knows this. And that's why he's bringing attacks. And that's why he uh, bombards your mind and bombards your thoughts and bombards your attention. And overall, just brings distraction to your life because if he can distract you from how powerful you are, then he can overcome you. You, you cannot overcome a strong man, one that is stronger than you, unless you first bind him. That's what the Bible says. You must first bind him up. And so the enemy wants to bind you up because he recognizes how strong you are. If he leaves you uh, in a case or if he leaves you in a state where you can fully recognize who you are in Christ, come into full recognition, recognition of your identity, of who you are and whose you are and what belongs to you, he cannot touch you. There's nothing he could bring on you that you cannot withstand and that you would not eventually be able to overcome. So he brings distraction and he brings 
uh, you know, diversions. He tries to hide the word. He tries to deceive you. Uh, deception is one of the greatest ploys of the enemy because it hides or it weakens, you know, what, whatever you don't know will kill you. The Bible even tells us that uh, we are uh, destroyed by a lack of knowledge. It's a lack of knowledge. It's what I don't know that, that can keep me from walking in the things of God. So, we're recognizing here, you know, in these last days and the end times, uh, that there are pressures, there are challenges, there are trials and struggles. And we went through several verses last week. If you weren't able to be with us, I would highly encourage you to get last week's message, jump online, listen to it. And um, uh, we went through several verses that outlined that uh, trials and tribulations, struggles, even people of the faith falling away, that that's to be expected, that that is actually promised us. But Jesus also said, be of good cheer. Why? For I have overcome the world. I've overcome the world. I've overcome the enemy. Therefore, you can walk in victory where you know how to resist the enemy. And so we walked through that last week. And so I wanted to... Um, kind of continue on this, and um, uh, here in Luke chapter 19, let's just go ahead and, and start there, and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll take a look at what the Lord would have us see and hear tonight. You glad to be here? Yeah. Amen. I am so thankful, so appreciative for everyone that has been uh, keeping up and uh, praying for Camden. Camden is doing great. Yesterday, he broke his wrist at school, and um, uh, this morning had surgery, got it set, and uh, cast it, and um, apparently he was in a lot of pain because he decided to go with a red and black cast, so I will chalk that up for, wasn't quite all there, maybe the Motrin was a little heavy. It wasn't anesthesia because we weren't even there yet. This was before anesthesia. I, if, if it was anesthesia, then I could blame it on anesthesia. That would make sense. But apparently, he was so in pain that he chose ridiculous colors for a cast that he's got to wear for the next five weeks. And you're stuck with it now, buddy. But, uh, you know, for the next five, I don't, I don't know who that kid is. Poor kid. <laughs> Something's wrong with your brain. Let's put a cast on your brain. But uh, no, he's, he's at home resting, doing great. So uh, wanted to be here tonight with y'all, but we chose to let him rest and uh, didn't, wanna, didn't want him to embarrass himself on the first day with a red and black cast. Give him a few days to... <laughs> All right, Luke chapter 19. Of course, all the doctors love that. They're like, oh, yeah, we'll do a red and black cast. We're like, oh, gosh, we're in Georgia. We are in Georgia. There's no working around that. Luke chapter 19, verse 11. Now as they heard these things, he spoke another parable because he was near Jerusalem. Watch this. And because they thought the kingdom of God would appear immediately. Have we ever, have you ever uh, uh, been been compromised or, or uh, you know, ever been in a position where you thought something was going to happen faster than it did? 
been in a position where you thought something was going to take place quicker. You know, they thought the kingdom of God. I mean, look, that tells us something. That tells us that Jesus was preaching and ministering so heavily on this kingdom that that was at the forefront of his ministry that they literally thought a kingdom was coming. uh, uh, Not just a figurative kingdom, but a literal kingdom coming that he was going to rise. Ultimately, it's what got Jesus killed. And, um, but they thought it was going to come quickly. They thought it was going to come immediately. So Jesus tells this parable here. Therefore, he said, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. And so he called 10 of his servants and delivered to them 10 minas and said to them, do business till I come. This is representative of Jesus leaving the earth, going, and we know that he's going to one day restore that kingdom back to mankind in totality. But through the cross, we have received the kingdom within us. And so if you want to see the kingdom uh, established in your world or in your life, you have to recognize it has to come through you. In another passage, he told his he, he told individuals that were saying, you know, where is this kingdom at? We, you keep talking about it. We want to see it. Well, it's not here or there, for the kingdom of God is within you. So if you want to see the kingdom of God, the only way the kingdom will manifest in the earth is through mankind. If we do not allow the kingdom of God to first manifest within us, and what does that mean? The kingdom of God just simply means God's way of doing things. If I can just simply put it in layman's terms, it means God's way of doing things, his rule, his reign. A kingdom, by definition, is a king's domain. A king's domain. It is the domain or the territory within which he exercises his rule, his reign, his way of doing things. And so if you want to allow uh, the kingdom of God to be manifest in your world, wherever you're at, it has to come through you. God will not manifest his kingdom in the earth outside of using you and I. That's the plan that he has established. That's why, uh, you know, recognizing your potential and recognizing your purpose and your destiny and and getting God's way of doing things is so important. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, seek ye first the what? kingdom of God. That means his way of doing things. Seek his way of doing it. What, how would God do it? How would, how, what is God's will in this environment? Well, God's will is his word. And so many times we want to know God's will in a situation, but we're not in his word on the situation. We want his will without his word. But for a king, A king's word is his will. The king's word is how he gets his will to uh, be manifest and to become present. He'll just speak a word. That's what a king will do. The king will speak a word, and whatever he says, that's the way way it's going to be. That's how it works for kings. And so Jesus, we know, is going to restore the kingdom in totality one day. We understand that. But... Uh, it says here that he's, he's gone off and now he has these servants 
that he's left behind and he's delivered them 10 minors or in essence, he's giving them something to work with. Nobody in this planet is in this earth without something to work with. No matter your past, no matter your history, no matter how bad you've blown it, no matter where you came from, no matter your education, no matter what you've experienced, no matter what your family uh, life looked like growing up, uh, there's not one person on this planet that God has not delivered something to you. In another passage where uh, we see this story unfold in Matthew, I believe it's in Matthew chapter 24, um, it actually says that he had three servants. To one, he gave five talents. To one, he gave two talents. And to one, he gave one talent. Regardless of how many talents you have, you have been given the same responsibility across the board because the one was only expected to get two and the one with two was only expected to get four and the one with uh, five was expected to get 10. The expectation is not based on how much is given to you, but the fact that something is given to you and what will you do with what he gave you? Now, in, 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 in totality, overall, in general, speaking in general, the church has been given talents. And where I want to go with this is this verse, this passage right here where he says, do business till I come. Another translation says, occupy till I come. Most believers are more interested in being ready when Jesus returns than being busy when Jesus returns. Those are two different things. I'll say that again. Most believers are more interested in being ready when Jesus returns than being busy when Jesus returns. What's the difference? Ready has to do with me. Busy has to do with others. God has not left us in this earth and Jesus did not leave us in this earth and give us the potential and give us the purpose and give us the destiny to sit here and build our own little kingdoms or, or, or to become so internalized and so inward focused as a church that we forget that there is still a world that is lost and dying and going to hell and that there is still a world that needs to be reached for the kingdom of God. And so when our focus becomes internalized, when we are focused more on what's happening in here, then how can we take what's happening in here out there? We've lost the overall purpose of the church. He says, do business, occupy till I come. That means be busy. God doesn't just want us ready. He wants us busy for the kingdom of God. Are you ready? Are you, if you died today, that's, that's the question that we ask a lot. If you died today, do you know where you would be? That is the wrong question to be asking. And look, if you came into the kingdom based on that pretense, great. 
We're glad you're in the kingdom, but I'm here to tell you today, there is much more in you than saying a prayer that, that, that gives you an exit strategy for if I die today, if I went out on St. Augustine Road and got slammed by a vehicle, that, that I know I would go to heaven. And that's a great assurance. That's an awesome thing. But God wants you, God, Jesus wants to be the Lord of your life, to be in full domination, full control of your life, full surrendered and submitted to him so that you can fulfill the overall purpose of what the church is left in the earth to do. And that's to reach the rest of this world that doesn't know him and to establish the kingdom of God on the earth. This is connected to last week because ultimately we build a tolerance rather a resistance. I will tolerate what's going on around me when I don't recognize that I can actually affect what's going on around me. I'm so far removed in my mindsets, whether subconsciously or consciously, the way I go about my life, that, that the, the, the irritations of the world and the struggles of the world and, and the challenges of the world, they, they irritate me, they bother me, I want to be removed from them. I, I, I pray prayers like, Jesus, when are you coming, man? I wish Jesus would come today. I, I'm tired of dealing with this and that. And, and you see the, the news and you hear the stuff about what's happening in our world and how horrible it is. And most of the time, the, it, it's spoken with a God, get me out of here. Rather than, how can I be a part of the solution? And I believe that, you know, we're either a part of the problem or we're a part of the solution. We fall into one of two categories. I know this is challenging, but I want us to see this. In, in, in a book that I read a while back called Church Shift, it's a book called Church Shift, and um, written by a pastor in Africa, actually. It's good to read some books written by people that aren't Americans. I'm serious. You get a whole other perspective. You get a whole other way of thinking. And this individual's name is Sunday Adelijah. Sunday Adelijah, a pastor in Africa, and uh, wrote this book. He has this statement. It says, believers, by and large, are so buried in their churches that they are invisible to the world. Believers, by and large, are so buried in their churches that they are invisible to the world. He goes on to say, we have all the answers. Speaking of the church, we have all the answers. We are virtually indispensable to the world. The world simply cannot do without us. The world simply cannot do without us. Speaking of the church. So a ready believer is one concerned with my position. But a busy believer is one that's not just consumed with their position. But recognizes that I have a plan to execute in this earth. There's a reason why I'm here. There's a reason why I'm in this earth and it's greater than just being concerned about my stuff. And again, we have things that come against us. We, we said that really the fact that there are trials and struggles is an indication that you're doing something that is uh, up in opposition 
that there is an enemy, that there's an enemy that wants to take you out. There's an enemy that wants to destroy you. There's an enemy that's afraid of you. There's an enemy that knows who you really are and what's really on the inside of you, and he will do whatever it takes. And, and that's when I went on that little rant about our generations and our schools and our teenagers and Future Now programs and all the different, st- different ways that we can make influence in the world because the enemy is fighting hard to get to them. Why aren't we? The enemy's taking out babies. Why aren't we getting to them? Why don't we have the same value? The enemy is trying to destroy kids' lives at a very young age. Just talking with Chase uh, uh, about, uh, or Matt and Chase, somebody just a little while ago about things that, you know, kids are seeing on, on videos and screens. And, 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 and who even thinks of this? Why would that even be a concept in somebody's, uh, you know, mind I mean, how psychopathic do you have to be that you want to attack children with something that will scare them and train them how to take their life? That's just ridiculous, but that's how hard the enemy will work. That's what he will do. Why aren't we going through the same efforts to reach those generations? But when we are more consumed with what does it do for me, I'm not thinking about how I can influence what's around me. And so he's... He's saying, this nobleman has given them something to work with. You have something to work with. You have something in your hand. And he says, do business, occupy, be busy till I come. And this isn't busy work. Make sure when I show up, you're doing something. No, 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 There's, there's influence to be made. And just because I'm not here, and in fact, the, 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 the fact that I'm giving you This responsibility tells me how much I trust you and how much I believe in you and what I've placed inside of you. I don't need Jesus here in the earth to see the world change for the kingdom of God. He left me here to do the work. I said he left me here to do the work. And I'm thankful that he's gonna return one day, but until he returns, I wanna be found busy. I wanna be found not trying to escape the earth, but impacting it. I said, I want to be found not trying to escape the earth, complaining about the earth, but impacting the earth. And so he goes on in verse 14, but his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we will not have this man to reign over us. And that's usually where a lot of believers fail is they don't want to surrender their lives to him. So therefore God can't use them in the earth. A life that's not fully submitted and a life that's not fully surrendered lacks the impact that it was created to have. We will not have this man to what? Reign over us. You mean I have to do according to what he says? I have to submit to him? I have to listen to him? I have to place myself under submission to him? Let me tell you something. Uh, accountability and and having uh, uh, spiritual leadership and spiritual authority in your life is not restricting, but it actually allows you to flourish in the things that God has for you. It actually, when, when you truly submit yourself to godly leadership and godly authority, it will actually draw out of you more than what you even know was inside of you to begin with. 
It's not there to restrict you and bind you. And, and well, you know, that church, they got too many rules. That church, they're too legalistic. That church, they, they, you know, they're too religious. Religious and legalistic have, you know, a, a lot of good churches have earned those titles because there is a, a way of life. There is a manner in which you conduct yourself. There is a standard of living. God does have a demand for holiness and for righteousness and not just anybody. We have the whole saying, you can come as you are, man. You can come as you are, but Jesus doesn't want you to stay as you are. He does have a value for right living, not because he wants you under his thumb and this is how you're gonna live, but he recognizes wrong living or coming out from under the, the, the boundaries, the blessing is in the boundary. I mean, from day one, that was, that was the shaping of the earth. You can eat of any tree, but of this tree, you cannot eat, you shall not eat. Or you will what? Surely die. That's a rule. <laughs> That's a command. That is something that now we are put in a position. Are we going to obey? Are we going to keep the standard? Are we going to maintain the, 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 our submission? Because here's the thing. If I don't remain submitted to his authority, I will be removed from mine. If I don't remain submitted to his authority, I will be removed from my authority. If I can't remain submitted to his word, then guess what? My words have no power. My words have no authority. I can try to speak to whatever I want to speak to. It doesn't have any, uh, it doesn't have to listen to me. I'm not even honoring him. That's, the, that's exactly what happened in the garden. The second that man uh, uh, disobeyed the word of the king, do not eat of this tree. The second they ate of that fruit, they were removed from their authority. They were removed. And the blessing was in the boundary. They had everything they needed within the confines of what God set up as a structure for them that would help them flourish, not restrict them. There was nothing outside of that garden that they needed. There was nothing on that tree that they needed to help them further accomplish the purpose that God had given them. Everything they needed was available. It was at their disposal. God gave them more than enough, exceeding abundantly. There was not one thing, one care that they had in that garden. And so we've got to remain submitted to his word. And right here we see these individuals, they said they hated him, sent a delegation after him saying, we will not have this man to reign over us. And so it was that when he returned, having received the kingdom, he then commanded these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him that he might know how much every man had gained by trading. Did you know? that God is going to come back to take account of what you did with what he gave you. He absolutely will. What did I give you? What did I put in your possession? What, what did I give you to work with? And how did you use it? He has come back now, this Lord, this master, to learn what did you 
And look what it says. How much every man had gained by trading. Gain means adding to. The master is not coming back to receive what he gave you. The master is coming back to to discover what did you do with what I gave you? How did you gain, add? How did you increase what I put in your hands? This is the Bible. This is what the word of God says. I gave you influence. I gave you talents. I gave you abilities to to communicate. I gave you abilities to write songs. I gave you artistic abilities. I gave you uh, 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 creative abilities. Uh, Whatever it is that God has placed in your care, placed in your hands, you have something to bring to the table. You have something that God is now wondering. God is now discovering what did you do He will take account and is not just looking for what he gave you, but rather how you increased what he gave you. Then came the first saying, Master, your mina has earned 10 minas. And he said to him, well done, good and well done, good servant, because you were faithful in a very little, have authority over 10 cities. It tells me this, tells me this, that I run the risk of treating what God has put in my possession as small and minimal. That every person on this planet, regardless of what your background is and regardless of what you've accomplished and regardless of of who you are or where you've come from, whatever God has given you in in the state that he gave it to you seems small. It seems small. Worthless. It seems invaluable. It seems like some, like we can run the risk of of holding. It's not that we. It's not that we miss out on the things of God because we think they're too great. We miss out on the things of God because they're smaller than what we think He can use. It's too small. It's not enough. Right? We all have that conversation. How am I going to change the world? And then you read about <laughs> missionaries in Africa and you read about, you know, you see these pastors with these large ministries or you see this, this businessman that has a multi-million dollar corporation and, and, and you see, uh, you know, these individuals that maybe have talents comparable to you, but they're at this great level and you're down here with this tiny little seed, but you don't get a tree without planting the seed. And God always gives you something in seed form. God will never give you a tree because he knows if you can't take care of a seed, you'll never take care of a tree. If you can't take care of it in its smallest form, I can't trust you with it in its largest form. We were just at a conference yesterday, uh, my wife and I and a few of our uh, staff and uh, individual was talking about ministry and talking about three levels of ministry. And he said the first level of ministry, and actually it's the longest level of ministry that anybody will experience. And you can apply this to any area of life for anybody. It's not just about church and pastors and church leaders. He said the, the initial area of ministry that most 
ministers never even make it out of, the first level of ministry is faithfulness. It's what you'll do with the small thing. It's what you'll do when it belongs to someone else. How will you serve someone else? So many times as employees, we think, well, if I was boss around here, if I, if I was in charge, if I, I would do this. No, you wouldn't. Because if you can't even show up on time when you work for someone else, what makes you think if it was your business, you would show up on time? If it was your business, it would be done in two weeks because you wouldn't make it there on time. Come on now. Why do we think that we would do for ourselves something we won't even do for someone else? That's what this master's saying. Faithful. You are faithful with another man's. You are faithful with someone else's. You are faithful when it didn't belong to you. So now I know you'll be faithful when it does. You know how to treat it when it belongs to someone else. So I know that you can treat it right when you have it in your own possession. That was one thing I learned early on in ministry was my faithfulness, if I want a senior pastor one day, if I want to be the leader, if I want to be uh, the, the, the pastor that I know God's placed on my life, I'm going to have to serve someone else and I'm going to have to serve them. And, and I asked myself this question early on, uh, probably 21, 22 years old. What kind of person do I want working for me? Would I hire myself? Would I hire me? sad to say at 21 and 22 years old, I would not have hired me because I slept in till 12 o'clock and I didn't have a value for learning and growing and, and I didn't love people the way I needed to love people. I had a lot of growing and learning to do. And thank God I got up under another man and submitted myself to him and I let him pull on, cut on, take things off, add things to, you know, mold me, shape me and whatever I needed to do, whatever he brought out of my life, I aligned myself to it, whether I felt like it or not shape me into who I am today. And I'm still in levels of faithfulness. You'll never abandon faithfulness. You'll never get to a position where you don't have to be faithful with something. And the individual yesterday said this statement. He said, faith is your trust in God. Faithfulness is God's trust in you. Oh, that was so good. Faith is my trust in God. But faithfulness is God's trust in me. And then we have to ask ourselves that question. Can God trust me with it? I heard someone say one time, I said, I wish God would, would, would test me with the million dollars. I'll prove to him real quick. Would you? Would you? What are you doing with the thousand? What you're doing with what you have now is telling God what you would do with greater. And I'm gonna tell you right now, he's not withholding. He's not trying to keep it from you. He wants to put it in your hand. He wants to give you influence. He wants to give you opportunity to be faithful with more, to do more. But the, what he's looking at right now, where you're at is what are you doing with what you have? You want to run a business? What are you doing with the two team members that are assigned to you right now? You, you, want to, you, you, you want to be on stage? What are you doing with that gift and how are you using it today? What, what are you doing with where you're at? And, and this is the thing about faithfulness is faithfulness is developed in obscurity. Faithfulness is developed behind the scenes. You don't develop faithfulness in front of people. I can just tell you right now, you don't. 
You don't develop faithfulness and get pats on the back. You don't develop faithfulness and, and, and people write you thank you cards and give you, uh, you know, hugs and, man, we just couldn't do it without you. Faithfulness is built where no one notices. Ask David. If you would have told David he was preparing for a palace in the middle of a pasture with stinky sheep that he was, you know, forgotten, wasn't even invited when, when a prophet comes to the house that's getting ready to appoint a king. I mean, don't even bother getting David. At least, you know, one through seven, it's gonna hit. You know, there's, no, there's not even a point in bringing out the youngest one that's stuck out with the sheep. There's no way. But that's where faithfulness is developed. That's what God's looking for. That's where God will speak to someone and say, don't look at the outside because I look at the heart. I'm looking somewhere else. And what I'm looking for is gonna take a different set of skills. What I'm looking for is going to maybe look a little bit different, smell a little different, maybe have a different uh, 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 level of, of, of uh, uh, skill that you think they're going to need for this role. But I need a shepherd boy to be the next ruler of Israel. I don't need another guy that's head and shoulders above everybody. He's got the looks, got the brains, got the skills, knows how to talk to people, is super articulate, is a mighty warrior, has proved himself on the battlefield. I don't need another one of those. I've got that in place right now, and look what happened. I'm looking for the one that will do whatever it takes, whenever it takes, however it takes, and that will be faithful even with the small things. Where are you, David? And so that's faithfulness. And so he's, he says... Uh, well done, good servant, right? Servant's the title that you want to go for in life. Servant is what you want to be known as. Not the great leader, not the great ruler, not the one in charge, not the top dog. He said, well done, servant, good servant. Because you were faithful in a very little, because you didn't treat it as small. You didn't treat it as common. You didn't treat it as, oh, just, just this boring job, just this boring influence. Oh, you gave me these people. Oh, you've got me working here. Oh, you've got me serving in this role. Oh, you've got me doing this thing. And this is where influence becomes compromised. Influence is compromised when I do not treat the things of God in whatever he gives me as great my influence becomes compromised. My influence in this world. It's the moments within the moments. It's the steps within the steps. It's the opportunities. A lot of times you can look in scripture. Many times uh, Jesus would minister to people on the way to stuff. What seemed like a distraction or a disruption. I wonder how many disruptions we have in life are actually the moments where God is trying to see how are you going to treat this situation. Come on, because our kids can disrupt. <laughs> our kids can distract. Right? I mean, yesterday I was, my wife and I, we were in Atlanta for a ministry trip, learning, growing, so I can do a better job of leading you guys. I was doing a thing that God called me and get a phone call. Of course I'm gonna get a phone call on the day when I'm four hours away from home. Uh, hey, we think your son's broken a bone. You need to come down. At first I was like, I mean, it ain't healing right now. I'll just run this thing out. <laughs> 
I did. You can ask these guys. They were, we sat through another session. And I knew all that my wife was thinking about. And then I went over and told uh, one of the pastors that we were there with, I said, yeah, we just got a phone call. I think we might have to jet out early. Got a phone call. My wife's, uh, my wife got a call that our son got hurt at school. It might be a broken bone. And the other pastor was like, well, man, if it was me, I would have already, go- already left. <laughs> all right, see ya. That's the word of conviction I needed. I'm a horrible dad. I'm here for ministry. I'm trying to learn how to be a pastor. I'll be a dad when I get home. God. They, I mean, they called us and said he fell asleep. You know, they took him home to a friend's house and he fell asleep. I was like, he's sleeping. What are we going to do now? You know, I mean, if it is broken, what are we going to do? I said, we, so we left. It was a disruption. It meant that I had to leave two hours early from a leadership conference. But we have disruptions. We have distractions in life where God is actually using those moments to determine what will we do with that? How will we treat that? He goes on and says in verse 17, well done, good servant, because you were faithful and very little, have authority. Notice that authority over 10 cities. My level of authority is determined by my level of service. What I can rule over is determined by what I will allow myself to be ruled by. My, my ability to lead is, my, is determined by my ability to be led. Amen. And the second came saying, Master, your mina has earned five minas. Likewise, he said to him, you also be over five cities. Then another came saying, Master, here is your mina. Notice that. He says, here is your mina, which I have kept put away in a handkerchief. Isn't it amazing the things we think God will be impressed with sometimes? Isn't it amazing? I mean, look, look, God, the kids are still alive. (laughs) I didn't blow the house up. I didn't lose it. That's ultimately what he's saying here. I didn't lose what you gave me. Playing it safe, right? Put, putting, it, putting ourselves in a position where I might not increase what I have, but I'll make sure I don't lose what I have. And that's not, that's not how God plays. That's not what the master's looking for. The master would rather you take the risk of losing it than keeping it and not risking at all. Come on, we're talking about how we have influence in this earth and in this life. We don't want to risk it. We don't want to risk it in Publix, and we don't want to risk it at Starbucks, and we don't want to risk it with the disruptions of life, and we don't, we don't want, to, we want, we want to play it safe. I, I, I don't want to lose what I have, but God is saying, I'm not concerned with you losing what you have because I need you to increase what you have. I, I need you to take what I've given you and increase it and make it even greater than what it was when I gave it to you. And here is your Mina. He, he didn't even treat it as his own. He never took ownership. And I don't mean ownership in the sense that this is mine, I can do whatever I want with it. Because ultimately, that's how he responded. I can do whatever I want. 
I mean, notice the other servants took initiative to go out and trade. They took initiative to, to, to go out and, and gain more by using what was given. What, what told them that that was what they were supposed to do? That wasn't the instruction given, but the, they knew the nature of the master. When you know the nature of the master, then you know his expectations. You know what he's going to be looking for. And they knew, wait, when he comes back, he's going to be looking for something. He's going to be wanting to know, what did I do with what he placed in my hand? This isn't just for me to hold on to. This isn't just for me, uh, you know, to, to bury in the ground and make sure I don't lose it. This guy, He's coming back and he's going to want some increase off of this. But this man says, I've kept yours. I put it away in a handkerchief for I feared you because you are an austere man. You collect what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. And he said to him, out of your own mouth, I will judge you. You ever been judged by what you said? That's not a fun place to be. You wicked servant, you knew that I was an austere man, collecting what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank that at my coming I might have collected it with interest? Why didn't you at least put your gift, put your talent, put your potential in a place where it could have gained and I would come back and get more than I left you with? That's what he's saying. He's holding the man accountable for increasing what was placed in his hand. But, and as you're finding out here, when we internalize and we become inward focused, the church cannot play it safe in the last days. We cannot lock ourselves inside of our kingdoms that we build ourselves and say, well, we had church. Well, we played the songs. Well, we filled up the seats. Well, we, 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 were, we were doing our church thing. You know, we had, uh, I'm, I'm, Jesus is not gonna ask me uh, how many did I run last week. That is not what he's concerned about. I've heard pastors say before that uh, you don't measure a church by its seating capacity. You measure a church by its sending capacity. Not about how many we fill up in here, but it's how many we send back out there. That's the influence the church should be having in the last days. But we find ourselves backing down from the very things we were called to attack. We find ourselves fearful of the very things that we were supposed to be faithful with. We find ourselves drawing away from the very things that we should be speaking out against. I mean, one of the issues uh, that this individual writes about in the book Church Shift is that the, the church is silent on too many matters in the last day that demand our voice. And guess what? The devil is speaking up about it because we're not. And then what we do is we complain about it. We complain about how rampant sex is in the world and in our schools, but we don't talk about it in the church. 
And parents, Christian parents, want to shelter rather than attack and rather than go after. We're doing what this individual did. We're burying the talent. We have the corner market. We know what sex is all about. We know how government should be run. We know what entertainment is supposed to be doing. We know what, what, what the, all this stuff should look like. But we're the ones not talking about it. So the enemy gets to run rampant with it. We're silent. We're playing it safe. We're within our walls. And then we think that we're going to be able to stand before Jesus and say, at least I kept at least I have. And he's going to say, I didn't ask you to keep. I asked you to increase. I said, do business till I come. I said, occupy till I come. Expand till I come. Be busy till I come. Not keeping to yourselves. Creating a little, a little click, if you will. He said, it could have been collected with interest if you would have put it in the bank. And he said to those who stood by, take the mina from him and give it to him who has 10. But they said, master, he has 10 minas. For I say to you that to everyone who has will be given. And from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. So ultimately, I want us to recognize that in these last days, these are not days for the church to become tolerant of, to become silent on, to uh, become fearful of. You know, a fearful church is a paralyzed church. And can I just, can I just tell you this? Opposition is nothing new to God. God has been dealing with opposition from the beginning of time. God has had opposition, even from within his own ranks, Lucifer, the angel of light, opposed God, brought down a third of the angels with him. The first church split. <laughs> from the very beginning, there's always been opposition. The church has all, the church was born into opposition. God's people have always had opposition. I'm here to tell you, we're not living in days that are so dark and so far gone that it's time to just recluse inside of ourselves and just wait for the arrival and the return of Jesus. We are living in days that are dark. We're living in days where, uh, 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 you know, we're, we're seeing horrible, terrible things happen. But I'm, I'm watching uh, documentaries right now on the past decades. And, and, and uh, I'm watching one specifically right now on the 90s. I grew up in the 90s. Like, it's really weird watching a documentary of something that I actually literally lived through. And it's there, they were concerned with the same stuff we're concerned with today. Except in the 90s, it was cable television and MTV, and today it's Facebook and social media. 
Snapchat is the new MTV. That's all that is. It's the same problems. The parents were concerned about the same stuff with the kids. It was the, it, nothing's new under the sun. It was the same thing, just repeating itself. And I can promise you, if you go even further back, the 90s were just a repeat of the 80s and the 80s of the 60s and the 60s of the 40s. There's always been opposition. There's always been pressure to walk away from. There's always been something that, I mean, if you read this book right here, between two and 6,000 years ago, some of the immoral stuff that was happening in here, you, it would make MTV look like TBN. <laughs> you read some of the mess that's happening in Genesis. I mean, we don't even get but six chapters in and God has to wipe the whole planet with a flood. It, 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 it's, 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 opposition's not our issue. The devil's not our issue. The struggles and the problems of the world are not our issue. It's our tolerance of them and our fearfulness that allows us to sit idly by rather than be making the influence and making the impact that we ought to be making. And every single one of us is given opportunities, moments, steps, uh, minutes, seconds, days, uh, opportunities and influence to, to be enacting the kingdom of God wherever we're at. We have it right in front of us. There is nothing else God needs to give you. There's nowhere else you need to go. There's nothing else you need to do. You don't need a different promotion, position, pay grade, a different job. You don't need to move to a different town. You don't need to go to a different school. You don't need to graduate. You don't, you, there is nothing. You could literally wake up tomorrow morning and make the impact that God has destined you to make and leave the mark God has destined you to leave in this earth. It's as simple as going right back through your routine that you've done all the time and just saying, God, raise my awareness to see the moments and the opportunities. Help me see where I can be of influence for your kingdom. Help me recognize the moments and, and the, the decision-making opportunities I have that I can be making a difference right around me. It's right around you. Don't wait till you graduate. Don't wait till you get that job. Don't wait till you make that amount of money. Don't wait till you have kids. Don't wait till the kids get out of the house. Don't we always have something that we're waiting for. Isn't that amazing? We always there's always something that causes us to reach and say, "Well, when?" And God is saying, "You can do it right now where you're at. There's a mina in your hand. What will you do with it?" Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. By subscribing, you'll be sure to receive a new message every week as soon as they are made available. And if you'd like to learn more about Anchor Faith Church, you can stop by our website at anchorfaith.austin.com. There you'll find our locations and service times, ministries that are available for you and your family. You can even give financially in support of the ministry. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time right here on the Anchor Faith Church Podcast.